0: Paranormal Tales from the Tower The Pest Chapel, Bavaria, Germany It can be very difficult to imagine what life was like in the past. As much as we can strip back our perceptions of today to a less technological moment in history, it's very difficult to strip back our minds and the things we currently accept as truth and fact. Simpler times might not in fact have been simpler at all. In other words, we can imagine ourselves in a time with no penicillin, but it's almost impossible to place ourselves in a situation where we don't know that penicillin exists, or germs, or science. It's hard to place ourselves in a position of true ignorance and to honestly assess a situation the way someone who lived at that time would have done. We know what we know, and we cannot unknow it completely. The word plague carried with it more than just information. It was a death sentence. Plague, when it came to your town or your village, would mean the end of life as you knew it, even if you survived. For no one survived unscathed. If your skin was not marked by the ravages of the disease, surely your heart and spirit would be. For someone you held in those places would be torn from you and carried away on the galloping hooves of death. Plague is a bacterial infection that affects humans in particular and is often spread by insects and rodents, often referred to as the Black Death. One of the effects of the disease is that it causes victims to turn black before dying. It's believed that the plague was responsible for killing up to 25% of the world's population in the 14th century. Fearsome indeed. When it reared its head, people died en masse. When diseases struck and they struck fairly often, it seemed like a judgment from on high. Plague traveled across the globe on foot and ship and on the wind, and often the people it cut down had no idea where it had come from. It likely did not matter to them or to the people left behind. All that mattered was its ferocious appetite and its immunity to their cries for help or forgiveness. It took babe from breast, bride from groom, statesman and pauper alike. For some, running in front of the plague was a possible reprieve, but usually only for weeks or months, and rarely was it fully successful. Death marched. Death swam. It flew. And when it finally abated, those left behind, stung and senseless from its onslaught, knew just who to credit its absence. In a world where the greatest promise was an afterlife free of this pestilence, this malignance, Only one had that power, only God, and to God thanks were due. Throughout the world, there are monuments to the gratitude that men felt for the end of plague, plague towers in France and Prague, plague memorials in Rome, and patron saints created from the plague sent to man and ended by God. Counts and dukes and popes and kings and all manner of people between showed both their power and their gratitude by building these monuments. Thank you to God for deliverance and a reminder to the people of what they had survived and also a reminder of what had been lost, but mostly a reminder that it was over. Not every plague memorial was in the center of town, just like not every plague struck at the court center. In the wild countryside, the quiet back roads where small farmers lived, small and quiet lives, where generations carried and wore the same name like an old cloak, until one Michael became another Michael, and then all Michaels became that Michael of the story. Souls were whisked away with the same speed, if not the same ceremony. Their loss to their people, their Marys and their Josephs, was just as painful, if not as remembered. In these little out-of-the-way places, these wide spots in the road, if you will, it was not always possible to erect a gilded monument. Instead, the survivors might build something of use and dedicate it to the memory of the victims and to their gratitude to their God, not for allowing them to survive, for they did not assign God the responsibility of the plague itself, but for ending it. These communities ebb and flow with the centuries, changing slowly, if at all. The homes of the last millennia remain, under each layer of modern amenity like skeletons beneath the skin. Wars rarely reach them, and while youth always leaves, the people stay. These little towns, these forgotten places, stay nestled in the forests, found only by accident, or by desperate seekers of the arcane and the unusual, or by teenagers looking for a Friday night thrill. In just such a small community in the Bavarian countryside is a pest chapel, a plague church. Originally built in the 11th century, it stands still in the midst of a dense forest. There's no road that leads to it, as it sits lonely atop a little hillock. There's not even the remnant of a path, although someone tends to it. Having heard the stories of its existence and its haunted history, I set out to get a glimpse of it. Driving through the German countryside, it's it's invigorating. It's beautiful and charming, and so unexpectedly pristine, the Internet had equipped us with enough information to know where to start our search, but with surprisingly little else. Germans, it seems, are less likely to believe or at least profess their belief in the supernatural. Yet this story had been written about on German sites as well as travel sites, and so it was interesting. As we drove in what seemed circles for half an hour, we decided to venture up a muddy path, hardly a road, until we met someone or saw a house. After about five or six minutes, we saw a gentleman stepping down from a tractor and approaching a barn. When he saw our car, he stopped and stood upon the slight hill, looking down at us, hands on hips. Our guide, Florian, rolled down his window and shouted a greeting. It was not met with warmth, but instead with a frustrated huff. I could make out the word "pestkapel," which seemed to irritate the man. He pointed generally forward and waved us off, shouting, Es East kein Pestkapal rather loudly, and this translates succinctly into, It is not a plague chapel. It seems he was less concerned with our being in the forest than he was with our reason for being in the forest. We drove past it several times, as there is nothing to note its presence. Had it not been December and the trees were of their leaves, we would likely have driven past a few more times and left frustrated. But as it was, we made a decided last pass, and I spied its white walls through the barren trees against a darkening sky. It was well past 4 p.m. when I saw it, and that left us very little time to see the church and surrounding area in only natural light. Our guide Florian was as excited as we were, despite having very little interest in the paranormal. This was something surreal, something unique about being in the middle of the forest as the sun fell on a cold December day, knowing that for upwards of 900 years, people trekked to this desolate spot for deliverance from the many difficulties and challenges of their daily lives, but that the isolation of the place had provided more than just a pristine location for a church, but also the perfect spot for murder and mayhem and stories. This plague chapel is not merely abandoned, but according to legend, it is in fact Damned. The bodies of plague victims are buried throughout the churchyard and surrounding forest. The misery and sadness of the pestilence is steeped in the land itself. There exists documentation that the chapel was built in 1162 and belonged to the Poling Monastery and was consecrated for St. George. Legends of St. George and the Dragon were popularized in the 12th century, and so it's not surprising that a stalwart of the faith would be a patron to the community of the dark forest. During the 17th century, plague moved through Europe. Bavaria was no different from every place else, and eventually death came to call. It's not hard at all to imagine that a chapel, isolated on a low hill in the midst of a dark forest, is haunted. It's even less difficult to believe that, regardless of its haunted status, it's attractive to local young people as a place to gather, perhaps as a group or more likely as couples, It's isolated, dark, atmospheric, and probably off-limits. No doubt they were told to stay away, and that made it even more attractive to them. The stories about the place are dark indeed. The forest that surrounds the chapel are said to be haunted by hundreds of lost souls, those who lost their lives to the plagues that ravaged the area, and those who were sacrificed to the forest itself. A dark shepherd is said to wander the foggy hilltops, ever in search of souls to fill his flock. Those who seek the chapel have been said to get lost and turned around in the deep, dense trees, only to disappear and to join the chorus of screams that can be heard on any given night emanating from the wild. Children lost centuries ago still sing their sad songs and cry out for mothers long since returned to earth. There have been murders and rituals and all manner of dark events reported here. But it's the wells that garner the most attention. There are four viewable abandoned wells, deep and dangerous. Five wells in all are reported on the church property, now crossed with iron bars to prevent accidents. The wells, it is said, are placed in such a way as to form an evil symbol, a pentagram to the power of darkness. To the outside observer, this is not immediately obvious because only four wells are visible. The fifth known as the Devil's Fountain, is beneath the church itself, reinforcing the notion that it is the place itself and not the chapel that breeds the darkness and the haunting. The church had been severely burned in the 17th century and ultimately rebuilt. It was after this, and following another bout of pestilence, that the stories of the chapel haunts took root and really prospered, One of the main tales, its origination lost to time, and therefore completely anecdotal now, is of a priest who took an unholy liking to a young girl from one of the surrounding towns. In a fit of rage and frustration, and madness and cruelty, no doubt, he killed her and threw her body into one of the wells. The wells had already been considered places of danger and fear, as they had been used in the past to dispose of the hundreds of bodies that pushed out of the overflowing graveyard of the church. At least that's what folklore says. The dead outpaced the living during the years of plague, and when it became too much to bury them, or they rose again due to the shallowness of their graves, the answer was to lower them into the wells and pray. This may have made the burying easier, but it led to many sleepless nights of guilt and fear, as the people of the surrounding area thought they heard the screams and wails of the disrespected dead echoing against those stone walls. When the young woman's body was discovered, the townspeople were outraged and frightened. She was one of them. Who could have done such a thing? The priest performed a special mass for the peace of her soul. He asked for her to be taken into heaven and brought to rest, and that whomever was responsible would be justly dealt with. During that mass, it is said that her faithful dog began howling outside the church. He would not let up until all of the parishioners came outside, including the priest, Once outside, the dog went up to the priest and sat defiantly in front of him, growling and baring his teeth. The dog would not quit the spot until the priest finally acknowledged his guilt. What happened to the priest is up for debate, but most legends hold that he was justly dealt with. The dog still roams, it is said, because the girl has not found rest. Her spirit is said to still reside within the well, angry, frightened, perhaps mad at this point. Those who approach the well on moonlit nights are said to see the dog prowling just along the edge of the trees. Those who challenge the legend are said to be rewarded with the sight or the sound of the girl herself, and then, several days later, with madness or death or both. The church is still in use to a certain degree. Photographs taken by explorers and legend seekers through the closed windows show a strange shadow figure. When we arrived, it was empty. But empty is perhaps too simple a term. Surrounding us, the area, the land, the air, felt still and anticipatory, and yet it felt utterly deserted. The grass surrounding it, however, was not overgrown. No weeds encroached upon the paths. Yet it felt as if we had stumbled upon a forgotten relic of an ancient age. And of course, that is exactly what we had done. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Tales from the Tower.